Bakersoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Mildred at Roselands, Episode 9 Dear me, another dull, rainy, tedious day, sighed Mrs. Dinsmore the next morning as she turned from the breakfast table, walked to the window, looked out upon the garden and fields where everything was dripping with wet. Will the storm never end? No hope of visitors today or of setting out to see anybody. I shall be literally eaten up within you. Here's Mildred, remarked Mr. Dinsmore. I've always found her good company. Humph, she has no time to waste upon me. I am quite at your service, aunt, said our heroine pleasantly. Indeed, what's to become of your all-important studies? They have already had two hours devoted to them this morning, besides two last night, so I think. I have fairly earned the pleasure of your society for so much of the day as you care to have mine, returned the girl in a sprightly tone. Mrs. Dinsmore looked languidly surprised and pleased. You are an odd girl to rise so early when you might just as well indulge in a morning nap, she said. I don't find it difficult if I have got to bed in good season the night before, said Mildred happily. I have been trained to it from childhood, my father being a firm believer in the old adage. Early to bed and early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. And it is really very pleasant after one is fairly up and dressed. Yes, and I dare say we would all be the better for it if we would follow your example, said Mr. Dinsmore. You are altogether mistaken as far as I am concerned, remarked his wife pettishly. My best sleep is in the morning. I suppose people differ about that as well as in the amount of sleep they require, observed Mildred. Some needing eight hours, while others can do quite as well with only four. Yes, submitted her uncle, constitutions differ, and I have no idea of asking my wife to give up her morning nap. There is a possibility of carrying the thing to an extreme. Remember that, Miss Milly, he added, playfully, and don't let that sensitive conscience of yours force you up at unchristian hours. And how am I to decide what are such, sir? she asked, laughing. Mildred laid herself out that day for her aunt's entertainment, and with a success that restored her almost entirely to favor, at least for the time being. The following day, there was a slight abatement in the storm, and some gentlemen called one, a young man, who had been with her escort on several occasions, and whom Mildred liked very much as a friend, inquired particularly for her. He had come with an invitation to a public ball to be given a week later by a military club of which he was a member, and to ask that he might be her escort thither. Mildred declined with thanks. He seemed much disappointed, and pressed for her reasons. I have several, Mr. Landreth, she said, coloring slightly, but meeting his eye unflinchingly. I find that late hours injure my health. That is one. Another is that I have been brought up to consider it wrong to attend balls. Why more so than going to the theater, he asked. I do not know that it is. Excuse me, but you go there. It is true. I have been several times, but that was very wrong in me. And I do not intend to go again, Mildred said, humbly yet firmly, though the color deepened on her cheek and her voice trembled slightly. 
The words had cost her no small effort. But she was glad when they were spoken. It seemed to lift a load from her heart and conscience. Mr. Landreth looked full of regret and surprise. I am sorry, he said. Will it be taking too great a liberty to ask why you think it wrong? It seemed a difficult and trying thing to undertake. Mildred hesitated a moment, her eyes cast down, her cheeks burning, but remembering the words of the Master, Whosoever, therefore, shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. She answered, Because I profess to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and as such, to take his word as my rule of faith and practice. That word bids us, whether therefore ye eat, or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God, and I find it impossible to obey that command in attending such places of worldly amusement. You are very young to give up all pleasure, he said with an involuntary sigh. One ought to have some happiness, some enjoyment in youth, I should say it would be quite time enough to resign all these things when we arrive at middle age. Ah, you quite mistake me, Mr. Landreth, she answered, looking up brightly. I only resign a few miserable, unsatisfying pleasures for those that are infinitely higher and more enduring. He gazed at her incredulously. Religion has always seemed to me a very gloomy thing, he said, very good and valuable on a deathbed, no doubt. But I should rather do without it till then, I must confess. I would not, she announced earnestly. I want it to sweeten my life all the way through. Mr. Landreth, believe me, it does do that as nothing else can. I have found it so in my own limited experience, and I know that my parents have in theirs, which has extended over so many more years. I have seen them wonderfully sustained by it under sore trials, and have noticed that in times of happiness, and prosperity, it more than doubled their joy and gladness. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Well, Miss Keithy said after a moment's pause, I think you deserve that it should be gained to you in some way since you sacrificed so much for its sake. Ah, oh, you are determined to consider it a sacrifice, I see, she returned, smiling, and I deserve that you should, she added sorrowfully. Excuse me, he said, I do not doubt your sincerity, but the Christians with whom I am most intimately acquainted seem to me anything but happy. If I may judge from their countenances and the gloomy austerity of their lives. Ah, oh, if I could only show you my mother, exclaimed Mildred, if you could know her as I do, you would tell a different story. Mildred afterward repeated this last remark of Mr. Landreth's to her aunt. Yes, said Mrs. Dinsmore with an expressive shrug of the shoulders. I know all about that, and you will understand it too when you have seen his aunt, or rather his uncle's wife, Mrs. James Landreth, in her house. By the way, we must call there. She called on me one day, not long since, when we were out. What is she like? asked Mildred. Don't ask. Wait till you see her. No description could do her justice. At least none that I could give, Mrs. Dinsmore added a little impatiently. Mildred's curiosity was excited, and she was eager to make the proposed call. After a few days' delay for good roads and good weather, she and her aunt set out, taking an early start as they had a drive of some miles before them and designed paying several other visits. 
The Landreths lived in the suburbs of the city, Mrs. Dinsmore remarked, and I have ordered Ajax to drive there first. I always like to get disagreeable things over. I wish, said Mildred, that one might confine one's calls to those whom it is a real pleasure to visit. Of course it would be very delightful if one could, said her aunt, but there is no use in talking about it. You can't tell people I don't wish to keep up acquaintance with you because you, your society is not agreeable to me. No, of course not, returned Mildred, laughing. Do you suppose Mrs. Landreth calls on us, too? Because the customs of society require it. Really, I can't tell. I know she doesn't enjoy it, because I'm not one of her sort. I'm certain she looks upon me as a very worldly-minded, wicked woman, a kind of heathen, in fact, and perhaps she considers herself doing missionary work and coming to see me. The house and grounds are handsome, Mildred remarked, with some surprise, as they alighted at Mr. Landreth's door. Outside, Mrs. Dinsmore returned significantly. Mrs. Landreth was at home, and they were shown into the drawing room. It was a spacious, rather dreary-looking apartment, very plainly furnished, and almost wholly destitute of ornament, with the exception of a few old family portraits. The only really attractive objects in the room were a brightly blazing fire and a very fine painting over the mantel. This last riveted Mildred's attention in a moment, and she exclaimed at its beauty. Yes, whispered Mrs. Dinsmore, it's the one handsome thing in the house, and she's always at her husband to sell it. Why? And Mildred's look expressed unfeigned astonishment. Praise it to her, and you will hear all about it. Their hostess and her, she was tall, angular, of sallow complexion, and strong-featured. Her black hair, streaked here and there with gray, was drawn straight back from a forehead crossed by many lines. Caps were much worn even by youthful matrons at that day, but Mrs. Landreth had resorted to no such artifice to conceal from view the partially bald spot on the top of her head. Neither did the close-fitting black stuff gown hide one angle of her stiff, ungainly figure. Her movements were ungraceful. Her countenance was solemn, as might have befitted a funeral occasion. She is certainly far from pleasing in appearance, thought Mildred, furtively scanning the unattractive face and mentally contrasting it with the dear, bright, cheerful one that had made the sunshine of her childhood's home. Mrs. Landreth's face served as a good foil even to Mrs. Dinsmore's faded beauty, a fact of which that lady was by no means unaware or intolerant. The two conversed together for some minutes, Mildred sitting silently by. They were speaking of the weather, then of some common acquaintance, of whom she knew nothing, and not fearing, feeling interested, she half unconsciously suffered her eyes to wander about the room. You do not find much to admire here, Mrs. Landris said, interrogatively, turning abruptly to her. There are no pretty trifles scattered here, and there, and there as at Roselands. I admire that painting over the mantel exceedingly, Mildred answered with a blush, and turning her gaze upon it again, such a lovely, sunny landscape. Gives one a restful feeling just to look at it. Yes, it is a fine painting, but I have often told my husband that I think he committed a sin in putting so much money into an unnecessary luxury, something we could do perfectly well without. The Bible bids us to be content with food and raiment. 
and we ought not to indulge ourselves in anything more, or to spend much on, on them while there are so many deserving objects of charity in the world. That is why you find me so plain in my terror and in the furnishings of my house. Mr. Landreth holds different views, and would like house and wife to look as well as those of his neighbors, as he often says, but I must act according to the dictates of my conscience. But don't you think it a duty to try to please your husband and make his home attractive? Mildred asked, modestly. I know my mother considers it hers and her great pleasure also. Quite natural, then, that you should, but doubtless I am an older woman than she, and years would teach wisdom, rejoined Mrs. Landreth somewhat loftily. Yes, madam, I suppose they should, but do you think people are always wise just in proportion to their age? Of course not always, Mr. Landreth is older than I. But now to return to the original topic. We are taught that we ought to practice self-denial and to give liberally to the poor. The interest of the money paid for that picture, $5,000, would enable me to largely increase my benefactions if I had it. And besides how much useful work the artist might have done in the time he spent, wasted, one may well say, in painting it. I cannot think that time was wasted, or that God would have given him the talent if he were not to use it, or that it is wrong to surround ourselves with beautiful things if we have the means, ventured Mildred, still thinking of her mother's practice and the opinions she had heard her express. Mrs. Landreth gave her a look that said as plainly as words, I consider you a very opinionated and silly young person, and Mrs. Dinsmore rose to take leave. That woman, she remarked, as she threw herself back in her carriage, has done more to disgust me with religion than anybody or anything else. She is always parading her self-denial and benevolence, always looks as solemn as if it was a sin to laugh, seems unhappy herself, and anxious to make everybody else so. If that is Christianity, I want none of it, and I know that is just how Charlie Landreth feels. But it isn't Christianity, Aunt, Mildred said earnestly. And do you not know some Christians who are very different? Yes, there's Mrs. Travilla at Ion, where we are going now. She is always cheerful, quite merry at times, and a great deal better woman, to my thinking, than Mrs. Landreth, though she doesn't appear to think so herself. In fact, she's too good for me. Gives me an uncomfortable sense of my own inferiority in that respect. Are the Landreths poor? asked Mildred. Poor child, exclaimed Mrs. Dinsmore, laughing. Wouldn't Charlie and his uncle be mortified if they could hear that question? Poor? No, indeed. Mr. Landreth could afford twenty paintings as costly as that. But he isn't allowed to enjoy one, and the house looks forlorn and comfortless from garret to cellar. And is she really so benevolent? She gives a great deal to missions and to the poor and the church, but I think it would be well for her to remember that charity begins at home and is bestow a little kindness upon her husband and his nephew. If they were beggars, she would perhaps think it worthwhile to pay some attention to their comfort. As it is, they get nothing from her but sermons and lectures on their worldliness and wickedness. But Mr. Charlie Landreth doesn't seem to me like a bad young man, said Mildred, in surprise. He isn't, said Mrs. Dinsmore. He's a thorough gentleman and has no vices. There isn't a finer young man the country round. But he isn't pious, so of course she considers him a re reprobate. I've heard my mother speak of Mrs. Travilla as a lovely Christian lady and an intimate friend of Aunt Eva, 
said Mildred, willing to introduce a new topic. Yes, and I always feel that she is making comparisons, unfavorable to me, of course, between Mr. Dinsmore's first wife and myself, so I can hardly be expected to be very fond of her. But isn't it possible that you may be mistaken, Aunt Isabel? I'm not given to fancies, was the ungracious rejoinder. Then there was a short silence, broken presently by query from Mildred. Has Mrs. Travilla any daughters? No, only a son, and he's away in Europe. The families, ours and theirs, have always been intimate. Edward Travilla and Horace inseparable, and they went to Europe together. Seems odd I should have been here so long without meeting Mrs. Travilla. She has been away, went north with her son, and did not return till quite recently. She called at Roselands the same day Mrs. Landreth did, and inquired for you. Mildred was greatly pleased with both Ion and its mistress. The grounds were extensive, beautiful, and well cared for. The house a fine old mansion, handsomely furnished, abounded in tasteful ornamentation. There were articles of virtu scattered through its rooms, rare and costly bits of painting and sculpture, also less expressed, expensive adornments, singing birds and blooming plants and flowers, all showing a refined and cultivated taste and forming together a most harmonious and charming whole. Mrs. Travilla was perhaps some years older than Mrs. Dinsmore, and with her, too, youthful bloom had fled, but it had given place to beauty of another and higher order, the illumination of a richly cultivated mind and heart. She was a terror with simple elegance and a due regard to her age, circumstances, and what best became her style of beauty. Her manner was simple and cordial, her conversation sprightly, her voice low and sweet-toned. You resemble your mother, she said with a kindly smile, taking Mildred's hand and parting and gazing earnestly into her face. I remember her well, for I saw a good deal of her in her visits to Roselands, and truly to know her was to love her. Some day soon, if your aunt can spare you, you must spend a day with me, and we will have a long talk about her. I want to hear all you have to tell. Oh, I should be delighted, Mildred exclaimed, her cheeks glowing, her eyes sparkling. Mrs. Travilla had found the way to her heart, and from that moment they were fast friends. Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresoft Story Classics.